0: Hey, good morning. <clears throat> well, I would say this, we will not be accused of not using our branding much, okay? So um, you notice even on the way in the lobby today, we've got some new floor mats, and just great to see that kind of uh, taking root around our campus. So a very cool thing. I'm not very punny, but I just made one and you missed it. So just uh, just telling you, so good you're here today. want to welcome you. My name's Todd Arnett, I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church, and you're joining us on what I think is going to be not just a good day, but I think a historic day. Historic day for Trinity Church as we just continue to think about God. What is the mission that you have in front of us and how do we follow you in it? So I'm really glad that you're here to kick off this series with us today. Already a great day. Can we thank the worship team? What a great job they did this morning. And I want to say, actually, in thanking them, I want to thank you because you are very much here and present today. And uh, it's really interesting what an incredible encouragement that does back and forth, meaning they're encouraged so much by your response and you being present, and conversely, you know when they've prepared and rehearsed and come ready to lead you, that that's a great encouragement to you. So back and forth, is a great give and take. What we're gonna do today, if you have a trinity this week when you walked in, then within it you have a set of message notes if you wanna get those out. They look like this. Also remember that a lot of our home groups are starting back this week, so as you open these up, You'll notice during the summer, we just did the one front and back of one side, but now we've expanded that, and your home group notes are in here as well, and so it's just a great thing to have as a prompt for your conversations this week as, uh, as you're meeting together. If you have a Bible today, book Bible, electronic Bible, whatever you might have, if you'd open it to Romans chapter 3, <clears throat> Romans chapter 3, and uh, if you don't know where that's at, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, sixth book in the New Testament. If you find your way to chapter 3, put your finger there. We'll, uh, we'll get to that in just a little bit. I want to just thank you. You are so incredibly um, kind and welcoming to my friend Chris Simning, who was here with us last week. He loved being with you. He'd never been here at Trinity Church before and just had a great time. And I was thinking about, I got to hear Chris all three sermons, and I was thinking about what he was saying. He used that metaphor very extensively about a baggage, claiming your baggage, right? And you could relate to that very tangibly when you've traveled, but then you got the idea. And I thought about it. It's interesting. In our Christian community, we're pretty quick to claim a lot of other things. We claim victories in certain things. That's not a bad thing. We claim promises of God. That's not a bad thing. But how quick are we to claim our own baggage? And the way that Chris turned that and just said, you know what? I know that God has this for me, I'm not always sure as to why, but I know I want to walk it out. I want to be faithful with the life God's given me and use it to his glory. And Christus did an awesome job inspiring and encouraging us. If you didn't get to be here last Sunday, I want to encourage you, go to our website, watch the message. You'll walk away really glad. I'm sure that you did. Two weeks from now, my friend Tom Mercer is going to be here. I want to give you an update on that. Going to be here on Sunday morning to share God's word with us, but going to be here the day before on the 23rd. There's a reminder there within your Trinity this week, reminding you about that on the 23rd, uh, sharing what he calls the Oikos strategy, and you'll get more about that. You'll hear it when he comes. That morning, it's free to everyone. Encourage all of you to come. It's going to be right here in the worship center. 9 a.m. to 11.30, 9 a.m. to 11.30. You don't have to reserve a spot, just show up, and we'd love for you to be a part of that day and just kind of hear from someone very, very passionate on this subject. I think you'll be inspired and encouraged as well from that. Well, we're going to dive in today and and jump into this uh, this new series as we kind of kick off the fall and start looking together. I've told people that I've been waiting for months to start this series, to give this message today. Because as we were putting together the preaching calendar for this year back in November, this was a red-letter day for me. A day that we could begin to talk about the mission of where we really have begun to believe. And it's not I say it we on purpose because with the involvement and engagement with Trinity's elders, with the involvement and engagement of Trinity's pastors... We have put together some ideas of really where Trinity Church is going, and we've been sharing those ideas, kind of dropping seeds about it for the last few months, but now we get to just kind of pull back, you know, the curtain and let's go, and and today's the day we do that. One of the things about that I was processing that I've been waiting months to give this message, I realized I've literally been waiting years. Because what we're going to talk about over the next eight weeks, today and seven weeks afterwards, is we're going to talk about things that I've realized as I was putting the series together have been so instrumental in my life, so catalytic to move me from someone who was a non-missional churchman, having always been a pastor, I grew up in a church environment, to move me from a non-missional churchman to someone who really strives to live a rooted in Jesus, reaching my world kind of life. And, and this series, on the one hand, is going to be personal, but it won't be so personal that you'll feel like, should I even be here? Like, is Todd just doing therapy in front of us? It won't be that. But I promise that you'll know they come from my heart because these have been the touch points. These have been the things that God has used to raise my gaze, look beyond the things right in front of my face, and look out and say, there is something f- worth living for, something bigger than you. Something that has eternal quality and value if you would just raise your gaze and see the mission that I have for you. And that's where I'm excited that we get to jump in together and be a part of this next series as we walk this out. I want you to know this today. God has you on the planet for a reason. He has you on the planet to engage his mission, to be a part of what he's calling us to do, to be intentionally involved in people's lives. And watch this who were just like, who are now just like who you were before you followed Jesus. It's interesting, the longer that you're a follower of Jesus, the more you forget what life was like before him. And on the one hand, some of that isn't all bad, okay? We live some lives that we definitely don't want to have to rehash day in and day out. Even the song that we did today, Death Was Arrested, we are free. We are free. We don't live in those chains any longer. And so to go back and rehash that would be troubling. But this is what happens over time. We begin to think that we are so different and have so little in common with the people that we do life with who don't know Jesus yet. And I'm here to say you have a lot more in common with them than you think. And God wants to use that commonness. God wants to use that relational credibility that you have in lives to leverage for his kingdom. He wants you to be a source of intentional Jesus influence in the lives of your relational world. People that he has supernaturally and strategically placed you among. To be rooted in Jesus and to be reaching your world is how you accomplish your mission on this planet. And that's what we're excited about to jump in today. Today, this now what idea, what do I do with today's message? It's at the top of your notes, it's on the screen. Keeping the plot of the Bible central in your life will transform the way you live. Keeping the plot of the Bible central in your life, it will change you. It will transform the day you live, the way you live day in and day out. So let's kick in. Number one in your notes, the plot of the Bible centers around God redeeming his fallen creation. The plot of the Bible centers around this idea of God redeeming his fallen creation. And what I want to do today is I want to ask this. Let me ask this question first. How many of you, when you might ask someone, hey, tell me about that movie. Tell me about that book. It's really agitating, irritating when someone goes on all these different tangents. They tell you about every single character, tell you about every subplot, tell you about the whole thing, and about a half hour later, come up for air. Anyone ever irritated by that? Like, all I wanted was the plot. Okay, that was one sentence. You gave me 30 minutes, right? By the way, how many of you are those people? And you tell all that stuff? Okay, so look around. That's the people you don't want to ask, okay? You're going to hear it if you do, all right? But, but here's the whole point. Every good story boils down to one traceable plot line. Every good story has a great plot line. And as you trace that out, as you follow it, you start at some place and it it brings you to another. It's a journey and you walk it. Lots of other pieces to the puzzle, but there's a traceable plot line. The Bible is no different. The Bible is no different. It's the greatest story and it has a plot line that you can trace. And that's what I want to do today. I want to pull out to about 30,000 feet. I want to look down on the, the totality of what the Bible teaches us in Scripture and I want to see this is the big idea. This is the story that the Bible's communicating. And I want to share with you today how incredibly important it is that we dial in and live our lives around that. Now, far better than I could ever say the guys from the Bible Project can draw. So take a look at this video.
1: There's this crazy story at the beginning of the Bible. We have Adam and Eve, and they're in the Garden of Eden.
0: And everything
2: in this garden is great. It's exactly as it should be. Except there's this one tree that they're told by God not to eat from because it's dangerous and it will kill them. So that's it. Uh, Avoid this fruit tree and we're fine. Right. It seems pretty simple. But in this garden, there's a snake. And it starts telling a different story. It says that if you eat of this tree, it's not going to kill you. In fact, it's going to make you become like God.
1: And Adam and Eve, they believe the snake and they eat the fruit.
2: And because of this, the goodness of the garden is tragically lost and evil and death enters into God's good world.
1: Now, why is there a talking snake in the garden? I mean... This thing is a problem.
2: Yeah, it's very strange. And even more strange is the fact that the Bible doesn't say why or how this thing even got there. It just presents the snake as this creature who's in rebellion against God and that wants to get other people to doubt God's goodness and lead them on a path towards death. And so whatever this snake is, it's the source of evil that pervades our world and our lives even still today.
1: But there is some hope because right here in the story – God makes this really interesting promise to Adam and Eve.
2: That someone is going to come in the future, a son of Eve. And this guy is going to come and he's going to crush the serpent's head and destroy evil at its source. However, during this battle, the serpent is going to bite this guy's heel.
1: So it's like a mutual destruction.
2: Yeah, it's this very strange but beautiful promise. And it's just left hanging there until the next... Key moment in the story when God singles out this guy named Abraham and says that through his family, goodness and blessing is going to be restored back to all of the nations of the world. And as we follow this family, we get to one of Abraham's great-grandsons, this guy named Judah. And he receives this promise that a king is going to come from his line and that the whole world's going to follow this king. And he's going to bring peace and harmony and there will be lots of food and wine and milk and vineyards and it's going to be awesome.
1: The first king that we meet from the line of Judah is a guy named King David. And he's a hero. Maybe he is the snake crusher.
2: But it turns out that David is infected with the same evil as the rest of humanity. He never crushes the snake, just the opposite. However, God makes a promise to David that this king is going to eventually come from his line. But as you go on in the story, one by one, each generation of his sons, they're just total Chumps! They give into the snake. They choose evil. They go after money and sex and power and following other gods.
1: Things get so bad that they run the nation of Israel right into the ground, and the big bad empire of Babylon just takes them out.
2: And so now there are no more kings to even fulfill this promise.
1: So it seems like the whole plan is lost.
2: But during these dark days, there's this crazy group of guys called prophets. And they just kept talking about this coming king and reminding us of the promise that he'll come, he'll defeat evil, he'll restore the garden. Now, one specific prophet, Isaiah, he tells us more about why this king is bitten. Isaiah says that the promise... King receives this wound because of humanity's evil, and then it kills him. But then all of a sudden he comes back, and Isaiah says it's because he suffered this wound that he can now become a source of healing to other people. But the Old Testament
1: ends, and the snake-crushing king that everyone's been talking about never shows up.
2: And this is why, when the New Testament begins, it introduces us to Jesus of Nazareth, not as some random guy, but as someone who comes to fulfill these specific ancient promises.
1: Yeah, we learn that he's from the line of David judah and abraham
2: and he goes around israel announcing that the goodness of god's kingdom is here now and he begins confronting the effects of evil on people by healing them by forgiving them of their sins and evil many people are now believing that this is in fact the promised king but jesus began telling his closest followers that he was going to become king and bring peace by taking the full effect of humanity's evil into himself
1: the fatal snake bite wound
2: exactly And so it seems like the serpent wins. And this story actually would be a tragedy except for what happens next. Jesus rises from the dead.
1: And now Jesus has the power over evil and death for himself.
2: And so the rest of the New Testament is then making this claim that Jesus' power over evil and death has now become available to us, to begin confronting the effects of evil in our life. But even still, death and evil are a real problem in our world all around us. And so the story of the Bible ends by describing this future day when Jesus comes back and he finishes the job. He destroys the snake once and for all, and he restores the goodness of the garden here on earth.
0: All right. What a great job they do in just presenting that in this big picture overall way. And here's what I want to do today. Uh, You'll notice they talked about here are key moments in the story. I I want to lay out the plot of the Bible for you in in a way that I think is just really being able to see beginning to end. This is where it's going. We're going to take some of those same thoughts, but I'm going to show you. They weren't just something that a couple guys came up with. Every one of those is rooted in scripture. Take a look in your notes. uh, Look up on the screen begins this. Number one, God created a world that was good and a humanity fashioned in his own image that was very good. Genesis 1, so God created mankind in his own image and the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Verse 31, God saw all he had made and it was very good. That's how things begin in the story. Second part, second key moment, humanity's first representatives, they listened to the snake in their garden instead of God and were put out of right relationship with God as a result. It's literally in the next two chapters, chapter two and three, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and was also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. We call this the fall. And so as these two, our representatives, Adam and Eve, as they choose to rebel against God, do their own thing, now there's going to become a problem. Number three in the story, in the narrative. In the middle of this judgment, God promised to send a seed of Eve or a son of Eve who would be a snake crusher, but who would in turn be bitten by the snake. This is in Genesis 3.15. God's actually cursing the snake, and this is what he says. Verse 15 and I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So that promise is made in the very beginning of the Bible that there would be someone who would come and redeem, someone who would buy back, someone who would make things right. Now we move way ahead. Genesis chapter 22 It says God promised a nation would come from Abraham who would bless all of humanity. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all the nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. The thing that we often forget, God makes this promise to, uh, to Abraham in Genesis 22 when he has this many children. But from you, a nation is going to come who is going to bless the world. And so God makes this powerful promise to him. Next in our sequence of this plot line, God promised a king from the line of one of Abraham's descendants, someone named Judah, who would lead the nations. This is now at the end of Genesis chapter 49. The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come, and watch this, and the obedience of the nations Shall be his. One of the things I want you to see today, if nothing else related to this big picture storyline, is I'm going to break down the plot line of the Bible in 10 pieces. Notice this today the first half, half of the entire plot line of the Bible happens in the first book. If you've never thought Genesis was all that important of a book, think again. Five of these 10 key moments happen just within those first 50 chapters. It's huge, huge understanding for what's to come. Next in this sequence, David was the first king in the line of Judah who turned out not to be the snake crusher, but was promised that such a king would come from his family. From First Chronicles chapter 17, when your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, this is God speaking to David, I will raise up one of your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house, of, a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. That was another king named Saul. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. So God makes this promise to King David. Another king is coming in your line that will be on the throne forever. Now to one of the prophets that was mentioned in the video, Isaiah the prophet. He announced that this king would come from God and that he would be killed, but as a result would have the power to restore others because of his wounds. Chapter 53 of Isaiah, surely is Isaiah writing about this suffering king. He took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. Watch this. And by his wounds, we are healed. So Isaiah saying that not only would there be this strong, powerful, triumphant king, but this king would be bitten by the snake. He'd be wounded to the point of death. But somehow by those wounds, we'd be healed. Next in the sequence, Jesus Jesus shows up. Jesus was the fulfillment of all the former promises made to David, Judah, and Abraham and was ultimately struck by the snake. This is Jesus in John 19 on a cross. It says later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and the sponge on a, and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. When, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So the snake bite, Jesus lives this sinless life and he's, he's ultimately, his life is taken. But now, next in the sequence, but his death didn't last, it only lasted three days. And he was raised to crush the head of the snake by conquering sin and death. From Luke 24, he told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And lastly, the last key moment in the story, Jesus will return to destroy the snake once and for all, and will restore the goodness of the garden back to earth He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. When you read that plot line, beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, that should do something to you. That should make you say, yay, God. We need one of those today. On the count of three, one, two, three. Yay, Yay, God. God. This is great news. You've heard it, and you need to keep hearing it. And you need to keep being reminded of what God has done for you because you don't just know the story, you've responded to it. And that's where we start in this series. That's where we start today is seeing the plot line. We've just taken out of the Bible, there are 66 books. There are over 31,000 verses. There are over 780,000 words. We just took all of that and we broke it down to one plot line that has 10 pieces. And in doing so, it's not just, oh, neat, we took the plot line of the Bible. We did so for a reason. We want to be focused on what the Bible says it's mainly about. If that's too much, if it's like, man, Todd, 10 pieces are still hard, we'll check it out. Your Bibles are open to Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 22. It says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he left sins, the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at this present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. The song that we sang today during our communion time has this great line. God, the just is satisfied to punish him and pardon me to look on him and pardon me. This is what we're talking about. That song comes right out of Romans chapter three. God had to be consistent with himself. He is fully righteous. He's fully just. He doesn't skimp on your sin. He doesn't skimp on the transgressions that you and I have lived according to him. But he says, all of the weight of the sin of the world, I place on my son and I look on him. I judge him, but I set you free. And that's why we have the joy we have. That's why we sang with exuberance today what it means to be free, because before we weren't. It's one thing today to know the plot of the Bible, it's another thing to know why that should change your life. And that's what I want to get to. Number two in your notes today the plot of the Bible is easy to lose when you major on minors. <clears throat> the plot of the Bible is easy to lose when you major on minors. Well, a thing that happened a few weeks ago, which is kind of still present in our memory, is we had a total solar eclipse. Was it solar or lunar? What did I say? Yep, solar eclipse. Okay, total solar eclipse. And take a look at the picture. You don't have to have protective lenses to see this, so you're okay. <clears throat> All right, so something like this happened, and um, the reason why it was such a big deal, I mean, it is a really cool thing to think about the the pathways of the sun and the, the moon aligning. But what's more so, the reason why this eclipse was so big is that it had been 99 years since a tot- the total eclipse could be seen from coast to coast in the United States. That's kind of a big deal. And so what do you do when such an epic event happens? You go see it. And certain people, even from Trinity Church, they went to Oregon, they went to Idaho, they went to Utah to go check it out, which is awesome. So let's think about this. Let's think about this solar eclipse that's happening. And let's think about you're one of the ones who went. And and most of these places are relatively remote, at least in our part of the west of the country. And so you go, you you spend hours driving, or you take a flight or whatever, and you get there. And imagine that you're there, and you're with a group of people, and you get all set up, right? You're you're set up for shop. It was on a Monday, and and things are going to start aligning. Imagine this, though. You got on your protective glasses, okay? And you notice that the person next to you, they have some on, too. But you notice that the color around the frames of their glasses is really cool, and you take yours off for a moment. You go, mine aren't really cool. How'd they get those? How'd they get those really cool colors around those frames? And you begin obsessing. You begin being preoccupied with the color of their glasses that when the sun passes in front of the moon, you don't see any of it because you keep thinking, how do I get those purple frames for my glasses? Oh, whoops, it's over. Or, or you were there. You traveled all that way. You got your cool glasses. You were the group of people. And just as the, the moon's path is starting to get in front of the sun, you just pull out your phone. You go, I wonder what's going on in the world. And you're just on social media the whole time that the eclipse is happening. Epic thing is happening in front of your face. You're prepared. You're there. To, you know, but you're, wow, look at that. Roast beef for lunch. That's so great. I love roast beef. You know. And you miss the whole thing because you're preoccupied with lesser things. Or let's say that you're there, and as you're interacting, you, you got to a space where you're with other people you've never met, and there's people from Florida, and, and you start up a conversation, put on your projective glasses, the the, sun's just, the moon's just about to go in front of the sun, and you start this conversation with someone who came all the way from Florida, and you start talking about East Coast, West Coast, and you get on the subject of seafood. And you're completely convinced that the seafood found in our Pacific Ocean is infinitely better than that found in the Atlantic Ocean. And you two go back and forth, and your heads are this way the whole time this eclipse is happening. You have no idea. And by the time it's over, you're both wrong because the best seafood is in the Gulf, right? Everyone knows that. And, um, and then at the end, you're just looking at each other, oh, I think we just missed it. Every one of those examples, we would all agree, epic fails, You went all that way, paid all that money, put all that attention to something you never even saw because you were distracted. As much as that would be an epic fail to have missed the eclipse a couple weeks ago when you went to watch it, I can't think of more of an epic fail for you to be fully aware of the plot of the Bible and not engage it. Fully aware of the plot of the Bible and yet allow smaller things to distract you. There could be a whole bunch of different types of things. Today, you could be here right now as we're talking about this idea, this plot line of the Bible. And you've looked over today and you realize that someone sitting next to you has a different version of the Bible. You cannot for the life of you figure out why they think that's a good version of the Bible. The lens, right, through which they see the truth just like your glasses. And you just kind of obsess the whole time you're here today thinking about why would they get that? That's horrible. Whoever puts their faith in that version, blah, 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 the whole time, and you miss everything going on. Or or maybe it's this idea. Maybe as you think about this eternity-changing gospel, you've never engaged it yourself. Even though today you're hearing, you've never engaged it yourself because you're so preoccupied with what's going on in other people's narratives. Other people's stories are so important to you that you haven't paid attention to the story that can change your eternity. Or maybe you're here and you've become argumentative with other Jesus followers and and you get off on all kinds of tangents. Maybe it's the idea that there's other people at other churches who are part of a different denomination and you just go, I don't know why you'd ever be a part of that denomination when this one is so much more superior and on and on and on. But neither of you are engaging the mission of why you're here. Preoccupied with lesser things, majoring on the minors distracts you from focusing on what matters most. It's easy to lose the plot. And I gotta tell you, it's something that I covenanted to do with you when I first came. My very first message last August began with a covenant. I asked you to engage and also a covenant I said I would engage on, uh, as this, in this role. And one of the things, you can look on the screen, one of the things that I covenanted to do was this. I covenant before the Lord to agitate the flock when we might become lax in or distracted from pursuing our Savior's mission to rescue a lost world. And you know what? I didn't covenant to 47 things that day. I covenanted to five or six. I still have it in the back of my Bible. And I covenanted to things like to love God and stay connected to him in the vine. I covenanted to love my wife and to love my kids and to be a good shepherd and that. And that's about it. Because that matters so much that we don't lose the plot but we keep it focused and we keep it centered so even when it comes to the bible itself it's easy to somehow miss this big picture because we become preoccupied with something shiny over here look in your notes right up on the screen all things watch this statement all things that are true are true All things that are true are true, but not all true things matter as much as others. I want you to stop. Before you react to that, just stop and hear what that says. All true things are true. Nobody's denying the truth of something, but of all true things, some true things matter more than others. Let me give you an example. You're here in this room like I am right now, and let's say right in the middle of the service, you come running forward, and I come down to greet you because that's odd, right? And I want to know what you're going to say. And you come running up to me and say, Pastor Todd, Pastor Todd, really, really important stuff. I've got to let you know. And I go, okay, what's going on? No more paper towels in the bathroom. <laughs> like, wow, okay. We're going to have this conversation right now. That's great. Okay. And, and, and what else? Was there something? Oh, yeah, something else really important. What's that? The roof's about to fall in. Now, if you expressed those two ideas with the same amount of passion, the same amount of gusto, the same amount of urgency, then I'm telling you you're missing something. Because if one thing is true, the second thing, we're all about to die. If the first thing is the biggest idea in the world, we'll all have wet hands. One is more important than the other. And the problem is, as I say that, some of us are even kind of a little bit like, wait a second. And it's good. I want you to process. You should never just take anything that I or anyone up here says without thinking But some of us are a little defensive at first trying to process that. But you live your life this way. Not all true things in your life all matter to the same degree. It's about living based on priorities. And every single day in your life, you're making decisions, not necessarily all the time if things are true or not, but which true things matter more than others at any given moment. All the statements of the Bible are true. Let me be crystal clear about that. We believe that this unique revelation from God is God-breathed. There's no book like it that will ever exist. But of all these true statements, some matter more than others. Let me give you an example. And I'm just going to pick a pet hobby for some. Hopefully none of you in the room, but if I do and I offend you, I'm sorry. In the Bible, you can open the book of Job, a book of poetry, a powerful book about um, someone who was deeply afflicted by God. And as you read towards the end of it, God talking to Job says, where were you when? And he's going through the created order. And he talks about things that resemble dinosaurs. Things like the Leviathan, things like behemoth, that we don't exactly know what they are, but they sound really huge and really not here anymore. And you could obsess day in, day out about trying to figure out what the Leviathan is. Okay. Or, conversely, while that might be interesting, you could say, but you know what? There's a reason why I'm on the planet, and it's bigger than figuring out Leviathan. It's living according to my mission and purpose on a daily basis. Some things matter more. That's what we're trying to elevate that idea today. The plot of the Bible, the redemptive news of God of sending Jesus to save us, it matters more. For some that are here today, it's really not an issue of things within the Bible that cloud that, that become more significant than others. It's just life in general. So many preoccupations, so many lesser things that consume our lives, consume our days, and then eternity. Someday when that gets fleshed out, you're going to say, I have no idea why I gave myself to those things. Because what really matters most is what God said all along matters most. It takes discipline and engagement to keep the Bible's plot line rather than majoring on minors. And that's how I want to close today. How do you actually do that? Number three in your notes, when you major on the majors, it changes your perspective and priorities. When you major on the majors, it changes your perspective and your priorities. It changes the way you live. Here's what I mean by that. There have been times, if you just stop now and take a little bit of inventory, take a look in the mirror, don't worry about anyone else in the room, take a little inventory and ask yourself the question, when were the times in your life when you understood this? What have been the seasons of your life when you had crystal clear clarity that you understood what matters most is God and people? And I will tell you, if you have had those seasons in life, they've been in one of two environments. They've either been, number one, on the peaks, on the mountaintop experiences of your life. You were on an amazing missions trip. You were at summer camp. You had this amazing, close connection to Jesus like no other time in your life. And in those instances, everything kind of made sense. Everything kind of all filtered out. And you could see this is what matters more than anything else. And even as I'm describing it, you're going back there in your mind. You're going back there in that experience and saying, yep, this is a season when I really had clarity and knew what mattered most. If it wasn't at the peak, it was in the pit. It was in a valley floor, and you were walking through something so incredibly painful. Someone close to you was dying. You'd been given a diagnosis that was going to change your life someone who you love deeply forsook you. In one of those kinds of valley seasons, the same thing, interestingly enough, the same thing happened. All the minor things in life that can become so distracting and make us so preoccupied, all of those filtered down. You didn't care about them because you laser focus. It's God and people that matter. You got it, you walked it, you lived it. Maybe you've had a experience like that, an experience for a season in your life where just everything was clear. Maybe you've had a few of them. Simple question for you this morning, when was the last time? When is the last time that you walked with clarity and you understood, I know what matters and I know what doesn't? Because here's the point of this series. I want to help you know that every single day. Every single day when you wake up and you put your feet on the floor, I want you to have clarity that says, I know what matters most. I know that God redeeming his fallen creation and my role within that matters more than anything else. And by the way, I'm not just trying to sell you something, I'm not just telling you some pipe dreams. Some of you look at that and you go, Todd, the clarity that I had was literally a week. The clarity I had literally was a month at most. I don't. How in the world can you live that day-to-day? You can live that day-to-day when you simply remind yourself to major on the majors, to remember that God says this, of all things, this matters most, to live a life rooted in Jesus, reaching into your worlds. That's what matters. Look in your notes. One last thing to finish with today. Live in that major on the majors attitude that will align your perspective and your priorities every day. Every day, not just at the peaks or the pits, with the heart of God because you will not only know his plot, but you'll live according to it. You'll not only know his plot, but you'll live according to it. I wanna ask you to do something. I wanna ask you to consider your calendar for the next seven weeks. We kicked off our series today. We have seven more to go. I wanna ask you to make a commitment to be here. I don't normally do that. I know you have lots of things going on and I surely wouldn't want you to, you know, put off your grandchild's birth, you know, for that. But I would want you to think about, could I make a unique commitment in this next series, these next seven weeks to be here, be a part of what's going on at Trinity and really begin to set my course. God, I want to join this. I want to join in this mission, everyday living mission of being rooted in Jesus, reaching my world. And by the way, there's one other verse. We looked at a passage. Your Bibles were open earlier to Romans chapter three that really concisely takes the whole plot line of the Bible. There's a couple others in scripture. Let me finish with one other that I know is very familiar to you, but hear it through a fresh lens today. From John chapter three, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Watch this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, just the opposite, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. That passage, that summary passage of the entire plot line of the Bible, guess what? You are either living according to it or you're living out of it. There's really no third category. And I wanna encourage you today if you're living according to it, if you said, Jesus, I recognize I do need you as my Savior, then live that out where that truth doesn't stop with you. Because, praise God, the people who shared that truth with you didn't let it stop with them. Conversely, if you're here today and you say, you know what? I've been hearing this a lot today, all right? This is the plot line of the Bible. God is rescuing, he is redeeming his fallen, broken creation. I want to encourage you, there is nothing to wait for. Make that decision today. This is our now what idea that's going to keep us moving this week. Keeping the plot of the Bible central in your life will transform the way you live. Let's pray. Father God, we are a people who are grateful today. Grateful that you have made known to us the, the most, without a doubt, the most significant, important truth we could come across. Thank you for making this plotline, your plotline, made known to us in your holy, unique, one of a kind book. We thank you for the Bible. All we would know apart from it is that we're messed up. We would see the sin and the wreckage around us and we'd figure something is wrong with the world, but God, we wouldn't know the solution. We wouldn't know how it can be made right apart from you and what you've done. So thank you for the scriptures that give us the ability to know our creator. If you're here today and you would say, you know what, I've never responded. I've never made that connection, that following step of saying, Jesus, it's one thing to know what you are and what you've done. It's another thing to say, I'm going to follow you. If you haven't done that, today is the day. And it's the same equation we gave you earlier today. It's the same steps. A is admit. Admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior. I don't even need to go on about that because you knew that before you walked in the door. B, believe. Believe that this Jesus we talked about, the snake crusher, that we have said numerous times today, he did the only thing, the only thing that was ever going to make a way for us to be right with a holy God, Jesus the Son did it. Believe he's the only savior available. C is choose. Choose to say, Jesus, you set a path for me. I want to follow you now. Not my own way, not the way of someone else. I want to follow you all the way home to heaven. Father, we say thank you for making this truth made known to us. Help us live according to it this week. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.